Okay, good morning, Boker Tov. As we always say, it should be a good morning. Mirza Hashem, it should be a Boker Tov. May it be a day we hear Besodos Tovos, Yeshuos, Venachamos. We should hear good news and good tidings. I have to tell you, though, you know, every year, I, every day since October 7th, I shared this with you, every day since October 7th, I struggle with saying good morning, good Shabbos, good day, good night, as if it's a statement of fact, it's good. It is good, it's filled with good. A Kodesh Baruch Hu is Tovu Meitiv, he does good, he gives good, and there is so much good. Within the bad, around the bad, as a result of the bad, even the bad is good, but there is so much good, we should acknowledge it, we should be grateful for it, and we should have the ability and capacity to say, it's a good morning and a good day and a good night. But we've uh, tried to transform what were ordinary, mundane, often really insincere greetings, and to transform them into tefillahs, into prayers. So instead of just ritually saying to someone when you first see them in the day, good morning, to turn it into a prayer, it should be a good morning. May it be a good morning. Good night, may it be a good night. Rest well, sleep well, we should wake up to good news, it should be a good night. We can transform and elevate even the mundane pedestrian greetings, and I say insincere, not as a judgment of us, but a reality. Nobody really means it, or pays attention, or has kavana. When you see someone you say, good morning, how are you? You don't really mean the how are you, you could really care less. Imagine someone would answer that question, how obnoxious it would be. How am I? Thank you so much for asking, I'd like to tell you. You know, my mother, my father, the world is unfair, I work, this is going, you say, I, I didn't really mean it, I didn't really mean it. I was just passing you, and that's what you're supposed to do, so I was just saying good morning, but I didn't really mean it. So imagine the world we could live in if we can elevate and transform and be fully present and be mindful, and uh, all of our greetings, we turn them into little tefillahs, into little prayers. Should be a good day, good vach. You know, make havdalah. Good vach, a mazal de gavach, a parnasal de gavach, yushim and a good vach. Until Tuesday, Wednesday, today, this morning at the end of the shir shalyom, some of you daven, some of you haven't yet daven. The end of the shir shalyom, little spoiler alert, the end of the shir shalyom on Wednesday has l'chun aranina. Why? Because Wednesday is already Erev Shabbos. The truth is, you know when Erev Shabbos begins? You don't want to hear this, but you know when Erev Shabbos begins? Right after Havdalah Motzei Shabbos. Ravitch Meyer by Amdar Kecha, Ravitch Meyer by Amdar Kecha says, Motzei Shabbos, you sit down, you made Havdalah, time to come up with the menu for next Shabbos. Time to come up with the guests for next Shabbos. It's time to already start to work on, because you know what happens at Motzei Havdalah? It's already Yom Rishon. You finished Havdalah, three stars are out, Shabbos is over, it's Ay Shabbos, you know what it is? Yom Rishon the Shabbos. So you're already planning, it's Yom Rishon the Shabbos. You're already planning, it's the first day, it's already Erev Shabbos. Erev Shabbos begins on Motzei Shabbos after Havdalah. But technically, halachically, Erev Shabbos begins when? On Wednesday, Yom Revi the Shabbos. One could make Havdalah until yesterday, till Tuesday, if a person, for whatever reason, couldn't make Havdalah, was exempt from Havdalah, our precious soldiers, they're in tanks, they're at battle, they're in war. You've seen some of the incredible images and videos of Havdalah in Gaza, Motzei Shabbos, Kiddush in Gaza. But let's say a soldier's fighting, he's battling, he doesn't say to the enemy, time out, put down the grenade, the RPG, I gotta make Havdalah. He can't make Havdalah, Nebuch. And he can't till Sunday, he's fighting Monday. So you have till Tuesday to make Havdalah. Wednesday we say L'chun Aranan at the end of Shir Shalyom, because what are we doing Wednesday morning? We're starting Kabbalah Shabbos, L'chun Aranana, Karbach, Nan Karbach, however you want to sing it, but L'chun Aranana, you begin 
You begin the Chunra. Kabbalah Shabbos begins on Wednesday morning. So anyway, we say Gedvach until Tuesday. Shavua Tov, have a good week. So that too, don't just make it some mundane, pedestrian, empty, mindless greeting. Shavua Tov, Gedvach, Gedvach, Gedvach. Say, it should be a Gedvach. It should be a Gedvach. Not just now because we're in the middle of a war, but for the rest of our lives. Let October 7th have changed us and transformed us that when we say good morning and good night and good vach, we're not just saying some empty mindless greeting, we're offering a shtikot tefillah, a little prayer. It should be a good vach, it should be a good week. It should be a good week. Yesterday was a good day. Yesterday was a good day. Hamas suffered two losses yesterday. In Beirut, we killed a, a commander and the president of Harvard. Hamas suffered two losses yesterday. <laughs> two big losses. So, and Hamas should suffer even more losses today and tomorrow, and we should eliminate them altogether. It should be a good vach. It's not just good vach. It should be a good vach. So why am I telling you all this? I got to get to our sponsors, but why am I telling you all this? I think it can elevate and enrich us if we can transform our greetings, our interactions into tefillos. But also, it doesn't happen by itself. Because you wish a good vach, doesn't mean it will be a good vach. Because you say good day, may it be a good day, doesn't mean it'll be a good day. What are you doing to make it a good day? What are you contributing to make it a good vach, Hashavua Tov? You can't passively sit back as a spectator and wait for Hashem to bring that redemption, to repair the world, to bring hostages home, to change things. He's waiting for us. He's inviting us. Every day that is not yet the day that we want, we long for, that doesn't have the results that we're so desperately waiting for, it's because we're not adequate. We're not worthy. We haven't done what we need to do. I don't know if that's how you feel. It's how I feel. Every headline I read, every morning we wake up, every night, in the middle of the night that we check, and there's another soldier, Khalila Rahman Latzlan, who lost his life. It's because our tefillah is not done. Our efforts, our actions, our achtus, our initiative, our unity, it's incomplete. So all of this is by way of announcing that at the end of Shir, as we do every day, every Shir, please stay. Complete all of Sefer Tehillim. The more people who stay, the shorter it takes. You take a few kapitalach, and we finish all Sefer Tehillim a few times in a few minutes. Do you know the impact that it has? Do you know how that moves the cosmos? Do you know how that penetrates and pierces the heavens, the Ribbon Shalom? Do you know that's our part? That's our mission. That's what we do. So we don't just say, oh, may it be a good morning. Now I'm off to yoga. May it be a good morning. I'm going to the supermarket. May it be a good morning. I'm going off to work. May it be a good morning. I have a manicure scheduled. Enjoy all those things. God bless. It's beautiful. It's great. Enjoy. But may it be a good morning, and I'm going to make it a good morning. Because I'm saying to stay to Hillam. I'm going to make it a good morning because I'm going to check in. I'm going to text somebody in Israel going through a hard time. I'm going to make it a good morning because I'm going to reach into my wallet. I'm going to sponsor another meal for a family whose husband is still in Miluim for the last three months. I'm going to make it a good morning. You can't just wait, spectator, watch from the sidelines, and hope that a good day will fall from the heavens. What are you doing to make it a good day? What are you contributing? How are you participating? What are you doing to influence it into a good day? Tehillim is one of those things. And now we have a Masoda for. I'm going to get to the sponsors. We're going to get to Amuna. We're going to get to the emails. Just relax. Just sit tight. We're going to get there in one second. But, and I mentioned this yesterday in the Pasha Shir too. We're beginning Sefer Shmos, the Shabbos. Shmos. Sefer Shmos. This is a very auspicious time of the year. Shmos is when we begin Shovavim. Shovavim Tas this year is the Navi uses this expression, Shuvubanam Shovavim, Shovavim, an acronym, Shmos Ve'era Bo Beshalach Yisro Mishpatim, the first parshios of the book of Exodus of Shmos, 
the acronym of the name, the first letter of the, each of the names of the first parshas, the Torah portions of this book, spell Shovim, Shuvu Banu Shovim. It's a time that we come back. It's a time that we come close. It's a time of tremendous growth spurt. It's a high intensity time. I told you before, there, an exercise, it was introduced a few years ago, the notion of the high intensity interval training. That's the workout you skip. It's the HIT, H-I-I-T, high intensity interval training. What does that mean? It means it's hard to maintain a high intensity all the time, so you have spurts. You do high intensity and then recovery, high intensity and then recovery. When I first saw that, there's a whole gym, I've never been there, but a whole gym and a whole uh, workout methodology that's based on this high-intensity interval training called, I think, Orange Theory. I wrote an article that in Yiddishkeit, in Ruchnius, we also have high-intensity interval training. We have periods where we are pushing ourselves, and then we have recovery. We push ourselves, and then we have recovery. <coughs> Turns out it's a Yid, some Jewish woman who started that gym, and someone showed her the article, and she liked the, the vort. I don't know. It's a high-intensity interval. Tra- so Shovim is a high-intensity interval. Shmoz ve'ira bo b'shalach yisro mishpatim. It's a leap year, so we also have truma tetzave. Shovim tas. High-interval intensity. Push, push, push. We got it. We can do it. We can do it. I'm not like the spin teacher who's, you know, whatever. You got it and push and we own it and who do you own and kill the day and whatever. I don't know where you go to school to learn all the things to yell, to motivate people, to keep it going and keep up the cadence and make it happen. And I don't know how you do that for Tehillim and for learning and for Midos and for Shalom Bayis and for parenting Chinach, but you got it and we can do it and it's in us and kill the day and slay the day and transform your day and own the day and whatever all the, all the motivational Lashonos and Sprach is. So apply it to spirituality, to Ruchnius. We got it. But embedded in these names, says Rabbi Yudaleib of Anapola, says in many Chasidish Svarim, says in the Agra de Kala, says in the Pnei David of the Chida, says in the Shinov of the Divri Cheskel, in all these Svarim. That you know what else it's an acronym for? Shmoz Ve'er Babashalach Yisrael Mishpatim. Shovavim, this is a high interval. Push, push, push. This is it. You were going to delete those apps from your phone? Don't wait. Do it today. You're getting off show, social media? Today. Do it today. You were going to be a nice person, patient, at home, you're going to work really hard and make a pledge and actually keep it this time, not to raise your voice, not to grow impatient, not to create a fight where there doesn't have to be one, not to prolong it when you can not be in your, and stand on ceremony. Whatever it is that you were going to work on, whatever pledge or promise you took, you're going to daven, you're going to add mincha, you're going to look in the sitter, not walking around, you're going to stand still for Asha Yatzar, you're going to drive carpool and never raise a voice, no matter what's happening. Whatever Kabbalah you took on, whatever, this is it. This is the high interval. This is it. Shmos ve'er b'b'shah, shovim, this is the time. But you know what else it stands for? Listen carefully, because then you'll stay for Tehillim. What does it stand for? The opening words of our parsha. Elish Shmos. These are the names, B'nai Yisrael Haba'im Mitzrayimah, of the Jewish people. Not Asher Ba'u, who came, Haba'im. That are still coming. We're still coming. We're still going to Mitzrayim, Metzar. We're still in a tight and urgent and crisis place. We still have enemies who are trying to close in on us. We're still Ba'im Mitzrayimah. That wasn't a one-time event in history. It's not Asher Ba'u a long time ago. It's Haba'im. It is something which is ongoing. Yishmol and Yitzchak, Esav and Yaakov. This is something, it's our journey. It is our narrative. It is our ongoing story. But what is the acronym? Eil Shmos B'nei Yisrael Haba'im. Sof Tevos, the last letter of each of those words, spells the word Tehillim. Tehillim. The Rashi Tevos, the first letter, 
Shmos is a shin, B'nai is a beis, Yisrael is a yud, Haba'im is a hey. Shivya means hostages. You know how you get out of captivity? You know how you bring hostages home? Tehillim. Tehillim. The first letter of each word is hostages. The last letter of each word spells Tehillim. How do you bring the hostages home? How do you end this war? How do we get out of our Mitzrayim, our Mitzar, our tight place, our closing in? Hamas on one side, Hezbollah on the other, Iran on the other, the president of Harvard, Baruch Hashem, out on the other, MIT, one to, two down, one to go, MIT left. How do we, how do we get it done? Tehillim. Of course it's our precious soldiers. Of course it's advocacy and lobbying. Of course, I hope you listened last week and signed up to get Yochevet's status so you know who to write letters to every minute of the day, how to make that difference. But behind it all, what will be successful for all of it is Tehillim. Shivya, you want to end the Shivoy, the Shevi, you want to end the hostages, whether literally the hostages who we're still waiting to bring home. It can't get old. We spoke about this last week. For these hostages, it's not old. One of the hostages who was released, this young woman who was interviewed, spoke about how hard it was to leave, how joyful she was knowing she'd be reunited with her family, but how sad it was to realize how many people she was leaving behind. And knowing from her experience, their ongoing and continued plight, being moved from being held in a house to going underground into a dark, do you know what it does to your eyes, to your orientation, to be in a dark place in a tunnel, not for hours, for days, for weeks, for months, deprived of food, Deprived of love, deprived of the ability to communicate, deprived of the ability to daven, to dream, to see light, to get fresh air. It can't get old, the plight of the hostages, until every last one is brought home. We have to keep saying the Tehillim, Sof Tevos, to be able to bring home the, those who are Bishivya, the Rashi Tevos, Shmos Bnei Yisrael Habaim. So embedded in the opening of our parsha is the formula. How do we bring them home? How do we bring home what are the first letter of each word with the last letter of each word? You bring home the Shivya with the Tehillim. Please stay afterwards. I want to thank our Amuna series sponsors, Dr. Zavi and Bella Morgan, in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Galvin, in memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Ellen Shanzer. This morning's shir is also sponsored by Len and Tanya Pater in honor of the birth of their daughter, Lily Eve. She should grow up to be imbued with faith and inspired by the living with Amuna Shir. When she's growing up, I'm still giving the shir? Wow. Okay. Birz Hashem. Halavai. Halavai. So Mazel Tov on that birth. Thank you for that generosity and for that, and for that sponsorship. So that art Tehillim, it makes a difference. It matters. That's what we contribute. Contribute from your wallet. We need resources. We need to make a difference. Contribute by texting or calling. Contribute by going, those who can. But contribute by davening. Last week's Parsha, the end of Sefer Bracious. When Yaakov is giving brachas to his children, he gives brachas to Yosef's children. And then he says to Yosef, and I am bequeathing, I am gifting, I am granting to you the city of Shechem. I, how do I have the city of Shechem? Because I took it from the Emirates. I took it with my sword and with my bow. So I conquered Shechem. Nablus? Is that how you say Shechem? I took Shechem and I'm giving it to you, Yosef. It's for you and for your family. Enjoy. Enjoy. Not everyone around Shechem got that memo that it belongs to us. Can't exactly go to Kever Yosef safely today. Sometimes you can. Every once in a while I'm in Israel, I get invited with an army escort, a group of people going to Kever Yosef to Shechem. Not everybody got the memo that it's ours. We are, we are the original owners. Yaakov conquered it. The Torah testifies that it was bequeathed, it was gifted to Yosef, and we are the children of Yosef. It's ours. We are the, uh, we are the indigenous people of Shechem. It belongs to us. 
We're not uh, occupiers and uh, we're not colonialists. We are the indigenous people of the city of Shechem. But how does Yaakov say that he got it? How did he take it from the Emori? With my sword and with my bow. Sword and bow? Yaakov didn't conquer Shechem. Who conquered Shechem? Shimon and Levi. Not only that, Yaakov doesn't judge them so favorably for it. In our parsha last week, Vayechi, he says, you impetuous people, my kindalach, my children, you risked it all. You put us in danger when you went and started up with Shechem. Were you crazy? It worked out well. So not only did he not do it, he's critical of his sons who did, and now he's taking credit for it. That's rich. that I took So the unklas, the Targum translates, translates, I conquered Shechem. You know how? With my prayers, with my tefillos. We won't take the time now. Last Shabbos, we quoted the Meshach Chachma of Meir Simcha of Dvinsk. Why did Yaakov use two metaphors, two allegories? My sword and my bow correspond with two types of prayer. Just say, I was responsible. First of all, what was Yaakov saying? He was saying, you might have been on the front line. You put on the uniform. You took the physical weapon. You went in and you fought. But you know why you were successful? You know what brought, brought the triumph and the victory? My tefillos, my prayers. Anytime we do anything with our yadayim, it is the kol kol Yaakov which is responsible. It's the combination of the two. It can't be one without the other. Yaakov knows that if Yaakov sat back and davened, let Shechem magically fall in our hands. That's l'malam and ateva. That's not going to happen. We don't daven for an ace. We don't daven for a miracle. We can and only should daven for things that can happen and be explained through natural means, through human initiative. So Yaakov understands it's the combination. You, Shimon and Levi, you had to pick up your weapon and go and fight. But I, it was up to me, my tefillos behind it are what accomplished it. It was my tefillos that are what, what did it. And it's only that combination. So similarly right now, our soldiers are on the front line. They're fighting. But we have to daven. We are giving them the energy and the koach. We are giving them the military advantage. The military advantage is not only because of the technology and the drones and the equipment and the generosity of this great country we live in that we should never take for granted and need to continue to work for the U.S. support of Israel, 13, 14 billion dollars worth of military equipment. But you know where the real military superiority comes from? It's not just the scopes and the drones. It's not just the better guns and the tanks and the artillery. It's the tefillos. It's the tefillos. And the Meshachachma said, Slusi Abusi means there's what's in the Siddur, there's what's in the Tehillim. There's the text, the liturgy, the template that you just recite. Fine, Gober guilted me in. What could I do? Everybody was watching. I had to stay. I want my kids to have Shidduchim. I had to stay to say the Tehillim after the Amunashir. What could I do? He guilted me into it. But you know what? I mumbled it. I was really thinking about my shopping list or the manicure or the mall or the beach or the walk. My head was elsewhere. Okay, so even when your head is elsewhere, I care less if I guilted you into it. That works for me. If that's the only reason, your kids should do them or whatever other reason, that's fine, peer pressure. But you could say the Tehillim, you open up the sitter and it works even if you're not focused and mindful. But says the Meshachachim of Meir Simcha, there has to be a second type of tefillah. The tefillah that comes from our heart that we author from our heart. It's the ongoing conversation that we're having with Hashem throughout the day. From when you wake up in the morning, you say, I'm opening times of Israel or whatever you look at. Hashem, please, let there not be a bad headline. You close the times of Israel, Hashem, let this be the last headline reporting another loss. It's the tefillah, that when you get in the car, Kaddish Baruch let me get the green light, let me not kill my kid on the way to carpool. I don't mean because I got in an accident, I mean let me not kill my kid on the way to carpool. 
Hashem, let everything go smoothly. And it's the conversation we're having with Hashem throughout our day. And that tefillah says the Meshachachma, there's no text, there's no template, there's no liturgy. You can't download it from a website. There's no app on your phone. You open it up and say, what's the prayer I should say to not kill my kid who was not getting into the car and making us late for carpool? That has to come from your heart. That has to be individualized, personalized, sincere. That's you. And that is likened not to a sword, but to a bow. Because a bow, the tighter you pull it towards you, the closer it is to your heart. When you release it, the farther it travels. The more it goes on target. If we want those tefillos to hit the target that is Hashem, if we want it to go far, to get all the way up to the heavens, to penetrate Shamayim, then we have to pull it tight, 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 tight. And it's not easy. The archer who pulls back that bow... One summer I went to camp and I got into archery. And I came home and I made my parents buy me a bow and arrow and I set up a target in the backyard and it lasted for like five minutes and then it just took up space in the garage. And for the rest of my life, my parents and family made fun of me. Then they handed off that Masoda to my wife and children. Then, you know, I have a, whatever I get into, I get very excited about, I get very into it. And it may not all last I, until I get into the next thing. So now my, the Masora of my family got passed to Baruch Hashem, my amazing wife and children, that they will say when I get excited about something, is that you knew bow and arrow? That's you knew bow and arrow. Anyway, as a former archer, for about five minutes, I can tell you that when you pull back the bow, it's tight, it's taut, there's tension. It's hard, that's half of it. If it were so easy, anybody could do it. It takes muscle. It's hard to pull it, pull it, pull it, pull it back. It's hard to daven. It's hard when you're getting in the car, when you're putting in the challah, when you're going to argue in the courtroom, when you're negotiating the business deal, when you're negotiating your, your marriage or a relationship. It's hard. It's, you're pulling back the bow. It's hard. It's tense. It's taut. It's hard. But the tighter you pull it, the closer to your heart, the more sincere, the more present you are, the more personalized you make it. When you let go, the farther it will fly. The more it will hit the target of where we want it to go, Hashem's mercy. That's where we want it to go. So that's our mission. You want to bring back the Shivya? It has to be with Tehillim. We'll get into our text, but I mentioned on Shabbos that last week one of the soldiers that we lost tragically, Ephraim Jackman, Hashem Yikom Damo, 21-year-old soldier. Can you believe there's a Hezdi Yeshiva, there's a city in the south of Israel called Yerucham, whose name means Hashem's mercy, but it's experienced anything but mercy because that one yeshiva, a Hezda yeshiva where Bachram, young men learn Torah and also go serve, eight, eight soldiers just from that one yeshiva. Eight just from that one yeshiva. And one of them, Ephraim Jackman. So when my sister-in-law went to go pay a shiva call, he mentioned that the family listens to Arshir Mikulun living with Amuna, which I didn't know and of course touched me very deeply. So I reached out to connect, feeling a connection just by that fact. And he wrote me back the following, the father, Sammy Jackman. He wrote, your sitter snippets have been giving my wife a lot of chizik during the war, thank you. Tefillah was very important to Ephraim. He worked on it a lot. He wouldn't talk while wearing tefillin. And listen to what he writes. In Gaza, he woke himself early every day so he can daven without distractions and learn dafyomi. Could you imagine a soldier in Gaza... He had every excuse in the world to not daven at all. Hashem, I'll catch you another time in this circumstance, in this place, how I'm living. They don't take their boots off to go to sleep when you're in Gaza. 
You don't eat normally in Gaza. You don't really ever close your eyes and fall into a deep sleep in Gaza. Enemies are lurking, snipers, roadside bombs, ambushes. But not Ephraim Jackman. He woke up early every day in Gaza so he could daven. Not just so he can daven, so he could daven without distractions. He was the embodiment of the Sefer Vesayef, which means with the book and the sword. The whole Jewish way that we fight is with the book and the sword. With Charbi Ubekashti, the sword and the bow, which both means literally and figuratively, also the allegory of Betzlusi Ubebeusi with our prayers. He picked up the sitter, the weapon of the Jewish people in Davind, and then he put it down and he picked up the IDF weapon and he went and fight and paid the ultimate price with that fight when he gave his life, Hashem Yikom Damo. So the neshama should have an aliyah. It doesn't need an aliyah. It's in the highest place. These kadoshim, the neshamas are in the highest place. They, they don't even need an aliyah. It can't go any higher than, than where they are, than where they are. So that, we don't pick up the other weapon. We're not on the front line. We can send the money so the soldiers have what they need. We can send the meal, make the barbecue, write the letters that they cherish and consider to be their body armor. We're not picking up that weapon, but every one of us have this weapon. We have the weapon of Tehillim, we have the weapon of Tzlusia Bu'usi, not only what appears in the words, the template, the text, but it comes from our heart, from our heart, sincere, to cry, to scream, to yell. That's what changed things in Mitzrayim. What got us out of that first exile, the first gullus, we were sick and tired. We didn't even use words. We just screamed. We just moaned and groaned and krecht, and we just said, it's enough. Get me out of here. I can't take it. You're the only one. You're the solution. I surrender. I submit. You, Hashem said, good enough. I don't need you to write a beautiful poem. I don't need you to write prose. I don't need you to write a piyot. No problem. You screamed, you cried, you moaned, you groaned. It's real. It comes from your kishkas, from inside you. Where does a groan come? It comes from inside you. The bre- it comes from inside you. The words, they can come from the lips and beyond. That's surface. That's superficial. That can come from the lips and beyond. But the krechts, the groan, the Zaka Gedola Vamara that comes from inside us, that comes from the deepest places. And that's our job, and that's what we're doing, and that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. Okay, let's finish this piece of Druk you have in front of you. Hakol, Kol, Hashkacha brought the story. I have emails, I'll tell you a quick one this morning. We had this chus of hosting Rav Avim Shur the last three days. Rav Avim Shur, Shlita, one of the greatest Rabbanim of our generation, an enormous Tamachacham, he's written over 60 Sfarim. Gives 40 shiurim a week in New York. Tremendous. The son of the Or Gedalia, of Gedalia Shor. He's uh, the Nezer Aparsha, it's based Medrash. He's an incredible, incredible person. He was here the last three days. We had the schus of having him in our home. He gave in three, it wasn't three days. He came Sunday evening. He left, he's on his way to the airport now. So he was here a day and a half, and I think gave 25 shiurim in a day and a half throughout South Florida. Anyway, what's the Hashkacha story? There's a lot of Hashkacha stories about that. But someone texted me this morning, and he said, just send me a text this morning. Here's Ashkacha's story. What a story of Ashkacha, he writes to me. He doesn't know I collect them and give them. That in itself is Ashkacha. It's Ashkacha. He told me it's Ashkacha's story, the morning of living with Emuna. I typically daven with the 830 minion. Today I had the opportunity to go earlier. My wife is driving the kids to school. In the mikvah, coming out, I bumped into Rav Shore. What an experience. So just today, his wife was able to drive so he was able to go earlier than he normally goes. So he was coming to the mikvah when Rav Shor was leaving. Hashkacha. Again, he didn't say coincidence. Oh, what a coincidence. 
How random. What chance? Said, thank you, Hashem. A little moment. Hashem, you just orchestrated. You just orchestrated that perfectly. Thank you. Perfect. Shine. That's Ashkacha's story. Not every, our day is filled with them. If you just look for them. If you just look for them, they're all over. They're everywhere. They're filled with them. Let's finish this piece by Rav Druk. We've been talking about Yedayim Yedei Esav Kol Kol Yaakov. When our voice is the voice of Yaakov, when we are proud, practicing Jews, when we're doing our part, Yedayim can't be Yedei Esav. Anti-Semites can't do their thing. Can't do their thing. And you know, you get feedback. I was joking, not really joking, yesterday, that this major Hamas leader was killed and the president of Harvard, for all intents and purposes, was fired, finally resigned. That's a good sign. That means our call is a shtickle call Yaakov. We're davening well. It's being heard. It's being received. We're doing our part. We're coming together. We're earning our merits. Then you get news of another soldier. Then you hear about a dira in the mirror. The wall fell down, a bacher. It killed a young man. A wall, construction just fell down on somebody. And then you say, our call is not Kol Yaakov. Our call is not Kol Yaakov. We need to do more. So there's a barometer, there's a meter. Every day, so to say, the news, what you hear is a meter. More Kol Yaakov. You can't ever let up on the Kol Yaakov. But when you see the Yadayim of the day, Esav, it needs to be more Kol Kol Yaakov. They can't go together. They're incompatible. They can't coexist. They can't overlap. They don't happen at the same time. If there's Yadayim of the Esav, if our enemies are being successful with their hands, it means our voice is muted. Because if our voice was loud and clear, their hands would be incapacitated. So we have a direct correlation and we see it with our eyes. And this is our answer. This is our mission. This is our purpose. He quotes from Umara, that krachs, that moan, that groan, that cry. That's our call. That's our call. That's our call, Yaakov. We are uh, about a little more than halfway down the second side. There's no other solution. There's no solution. There's no like, who can you pay off to end this war? There's no, who can we hire mercenaries to go fight this war? There's no, who can we elect to be a diplomat to go represent us to end this war? There's no other pitaron. There's no other solution. There's no other solution. And it's only in that moment, it's only when we realize that, then he hears us. Because Kol's mom, the whole time that we think, if only this elected leader, if only this person in a position of power, if only we had the money, if only we had the military, if only we had the connection, if only we had the intelligence, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only, if, if, if. When you live life with if, the middle two letters, I told you, heard from Rav Tversky earlier this year, the middle two letters in English of the word life, or if. In English, the life is filled with if. If I did this, if I, if I got that job, if I married this person, if I had the money, if I had these children, if I had that opportunity, if I had that connection, if, if, if. In Hebrew, that same word, chayim, life, what are the middle two letters? Shem Hashem. In Hebrew, the middle of our lives, central to our lives, is Shem Hashem. There's no if, 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 if. There's no if. We don't look at our life with if. It is what it is. I hope I'm not violating anything by telling you this. But of sure, Shlita is suffering in ter- terrible, terrible pain. It's enormous health challenges with his back. He walks with a cane, slowly struggling. The Messias Nefeshtra have come down here for these three days. It's extraordinary. You see it. 
Every step he takes, every time he gets up, everything he has to do, but it doesn't stop him or slow him down. Last night, he was with a group of teenage boys after midnight in our backyard. This morning, he spoke to our Kolo Boker that goes at 6.15 in the morning to 7 a.m. It doesn't matter. It doesn't slow him down. But I was there yesterday. His son asked him, how is he feeling? You know what his answer was? I don't know if any of us have ever answered this before. I feel the way the Ebishter wants me to feel. I feel how Hashem wants me to feel. Not... I'm in pain, but that's what Hashem wants. Not it hurts. He didn't even register. I'm in pain. I'm not in pain. Healthy. I'm sick. I feel how Hashem wants me to feel. Like what a, what a, what a silly question. Or that's the definitive answer. I feel how Hashem wants me to feel. There's no other solution. There's no if. There's no if this. If only if. If is English life. Hashem Hashem is the middle of Chaim. Our approach to life is Shem Hashem. Central to our life, focus of our life, the centerpiece of our life, are Yud, and then Yud, the name of Hashem. The Pitaron says, Rav Druk, that's it. So yes, we have to work with military advantage, military equipment, American support, diplomacy. We got to work, write letters, write, write, write. We got to do it all. You got to do it all. But how many people are busy writing letters, but they skip the most important letter? They're lobbying, but they missed the most important lobbying appointment. You know what the most important lobbying appointment you could have? Not your congressman, not your senator, not the president, not the ambassador, not the prime minister, not the United Nations. The most important lobbying appointment you can have is the easiest lobbying appointment for you to get. You don't need connections. You don't need protexia. You don't need to fit in a schedule. And you don't have to fly anywhere. The most important lobbying appointment you can have is the one with Hashem. And you have access to lobby him anywhere, anytime, any language. Kirshbrook is the most important lobbying appointment. When APAC used to have the policy conference at its height, 18, 20,000 people. It was an amazing experience to be with 20,000 people passionately caring about Israel, Jews and non-Jews. But I always, I always would take a picture and post the davening. Over the years, many, 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 many more observant people were attending. And the minyanim grew and grew and grew and grew. And I'd always take a picture and post, this is the most important lobbying event of any APAC policy conference. Is when we're standing and davening to Hashem. My friend Hillel Fold puts a picture often of himself in his talis and tefillin. And he says, most important appointment of the day, biggest lobbying of the day, is talking to Hashem. How many people, they mumble the davening, they're cleaning the dishes and clearing the table and putting away the knapsack while they're davening. They didn't even open the sitter and daven because they're running. You got to write this letter, do this letter, go this letter. I got an appointment. You know who I'm meeting with. You know who I have to speak to. You know what I have to lobby. You know what I'm going to advocate. You just skipped the most important appointment. What are you doing? There is no solution. Yes, keep all the other lobbying appointments too. Of course. But the most important one? Like, sorry, Hashem, I can't talk to you. I got to run to the doctor. Sorry, Hashem, can't talk to you. I got a meeting with the lawyer about our big case. Hashem's looking down, he's like, that's lahavdil, lahavdil, lahavdil. You walked by the Oval Office and you say, sorry, President, can't speak to you. I'm meeting with the, I don't want to insult anybody, the secretary, the custodian, the driver, the newspaper boy. The President, I'm sorry, come again? I'm the one who can help you. This is the office that has the solutions. You just walked right by me, you made no time for me. You, you ended our meeting abruptly because you wanted to go meet with who? So Kodesh Baruch Hu says, yeah, you got, you got to meet with the doctor, you got to meet with the lawyer, 
You gotta have your newspaper delivered. You gotta meet with him too. Don't forget to give a tip and make a kiddush Hashem this time of year. Your garbage person, your newspaper person, your mail person. It's so easy. You have such opportunity to make a kiddush Hashem. Go get a Starbucks card or a mall card or an Amazon card and give a little tip. The cost of kiddush Hashem, it's nothing. For the price of a kiddush Hashem, $10, $18. Then you can explain why the number 18 and make another kiddush Hashem. $25, I don't want to be $180, whatever you want to give. I don't want to be, I'd like to be your mailman, but whatever you want to give, make a Kiddush Hashem. So you got, that's also important, but you're not going to walk by the president, the Oval Office, for your problem to go talk to someone else who doesn't have the nuclear codes. Kiddush Baruch Hu has every nuclear code. Kiddush Baruch Hu runs the whole world. Don't walk by his office. Don't, don't ignore his phone call. Don't pass up that lobbying appointment to go run to do the other ones. That's the pitaron. That's the answer. That's the answer. That's what we're singing and dancing. You know who's singing and dancing that? Not just us here, 6,000 miles away. Go to the army bases. Those of you who will be with us, Yeshiva Week in Israel, we're planning two incredible days. Just this morning, I'm still working on it. Mirza Hashem, when we will sing and dance with soldiers to incredible musicians who are singing and playing, we are people of faith, children of people of faith. And there's no one for us to lean on. Other than our Father in heaven. That's who we can lean on. That's who we're leaning on. That's who we're leaning on. So that's the pitaron. So those soldiers, what do they do? They turn in their guns, they take off their uniform because they sang the song. That, well, if we have no one to lean on other than you, guess we're not needed in our tank. Guess we're not needed in that F-16. Guess we're not needed to fire off the artillery? No. I have to do my ishtadlis. Got to take my initiative. And also, we saw that oh, he says it right now. If right now I'm sitting in the middle of the room but I want to lean against the wall, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? I have to walk close to the wall. If I try to lean against the wall from here, what's going to happen? I will fall flat on my face, which has happened in this room. A few years ago, I tore my Achilles. I was on a knee scooter. It was miserable. I surgery and recovery. And uh, we had a Pesach Seder right in this room, right in the spot. And there was a matzah cover on the table too close to the candle lighting. The matzah cover caught fire. And because I'm a hero, I jumped up instinctively and I grabbed the matzah cover to carry it over to the sink to leave it in the sink to burn out. So Shaila, can you put it out? Only if it's going to spread, just let it burn out. There was one problem. I forgot that I had surgery on my foot. So I pick up the matzah cover, I took one step and I fell flat on my face and held the burning matzah cover up. It's on video somewhere, I'm sure. And uh, for the right price, we'll let you have it. Right donation to, uh, to Israel. Anyway, so I have from personal experience, if you're trying to lean on something but you're not near it, you will fall flat on your face. You got close to the wall in order to lean on it. Says Rav Druk, listen to this, so beautiful. We sing, Hashem, there is no one to lean on other than you. Hashem says, that's nice, but if you want to lean on me, you know what you have to do? You have to come close to me. Because if you try to lean on me and you're far away, you're going to fall flat on your face. So if you want to lean on me, first you have to come close to me. You can't lean on me if you don't come close to me. So it's a nice song. 
It's a nice song. It's a beautiful song, but do you mean it? Do you feel it? Do you live it? If you really want to lean on Hashem first, you got to come close. Because otherwise, the people who try to lean on Him, but they're not close, they're going to fall flat on their face. How do you get close? So good, you want to lean on Him, you have to be close, you want to get close. How do you get close? Cry out. Be part of the community who are crying out. Be part of those who stay to say Tehillim. Be part of those who are rotating in the Tehillim groups. Be part of those who attend the rally. Be part of those who are doing whatever effort, whatever campaign, whatever mission, whatever purpose. We are in a great time of danger from every direction. You think it's their problem over there 6,000 miles away? It's in our backyard. It's right here. You know, during the Holocaust, there were people who got reports and they didn't believe because it was not believable what was happening. And because they didn't believe, they didn't daven. And who knows what absence or failure or lack of davening what that results in. And we too now, we don't have that excuse. We see and we know with our own eyes. This is a war that's being broadcast in real time. We see and we know too much things that we wish we could unsee and not know. There is no excuse. And that should be the catalyst that should awaken and arouse, that should cause us to scream, to yell, ow! When you get hurt, when you stub your toe in the middle of the night, you scream, ow! How did that help? That made it better? No. Why'd you scream? Because it hurt. You didn't stop and think, ooh, that hurt, should I scream? <laughs> Nobody says that. Child gets a shot at the doctor. They don't say, hmm, should I scream? I get a double candy. No, you get a shot, you stub your toe, something hurts, you yell, ouch! And if you're not screaming, it's because it didn't hurt. And if it doesn't hurt, you have to check your Jewish DNA. That is the only solution. That is the way out. That is the path forward to take our initiative, but to combine it and couple it and complement it with Kol Yaakov. Let's just finish up. When Sarah said, anyone who hears, they're going to laugh at me. Pregnant? At my age, are you kidding? Will be the laughing stock. Rashi tells us from the Medrash, she wasn't the only barren one. There were many waiting to have children, and we daven from the bottom of our hearts all those primary infertility, secondary infertility. There are a few things that are more painful. We daven, Hashem should hear us. We're crying out and calling out that Hashem should help them realize their dreams immediately and healthy and all good news. But sorry, Imenu wasn't the only Akara, she wasn't the only barren one. There were others who were barren with her. And that day, that Sarah received her good news, they were healed and got their good news. And that laughter, all there was, all there was was laughter in the world. Hashem wanted to make a miracle for Avram and Sarah, and despite their older age and the natural impossibility of becoming pregnant, nevertheless she conceived Yitzchak. What's going on over here? Avram and Sarah were righteous. It makes sense. They were worthy. He made a miracle. But why with them? Was it like a BOGO? Two for one deal? 
she became pregnant, so might as well make everyone else pregnant too who's waiting. What was the deal? Why did it work out that way? So reward Avram and Yitzchak, they're righteous. Everyone else, earn it for yourself. What's going on? Concludes Rav Druk, Omnam HaPerish B'zehu Pashut. She'etzal Avram Avinu M'yelo Benu Akara Nimtei Samach Elav Lo Yeben Azai La'Avram Avinu Atzim Lotiye Simcha Because Hashem wanted Avram to be happy. But what if Avram had a little Yitzchak? But his best friend, his least best friend, doesn't matter. Anyone in Avram's circle is also suffering. And they're not going to conceive. Can Avram really be happy? There's a saying within parenting. You're only as happy as your least happy child. So that's true for people. Why? Because you care about your children more than you care about anybody else. For Avram Avinu, he was only as happy as his least happy friend. He was only as happy as the least happy person he ever met. That was Avram Avinu. Most people are like, good luck to you. I hope you're happy. That has nothing to do with my happiness. But my happiness, I'm only as happy as my least happy child. Now we're living in a generation where lucky if you have that. You have parents who say, you're an happy child, your problem. I'm happy. I'm out of here. See you later. It's a healthy thing to be only as happy as our least happy child. That's what it means to be a parent. Avram Avinu took that a step further. He was only as happy as his least happy friend. Hashem said, I want Avram and Sarah to be happy. Ooh, that's a big ask. Because for Avram and Sarah to be happy is not just to give Avram and Sarah. But Avram and Sarah can't be happy unless their entire community is happy. So I guess I have to make everybody healthy, give everybody babies, let everybody get married. Because if I want, and I think Avram and Sarah deserve to be happy, they're only going to be as happy as their least happy friend, their least happy neighbor. So I have to make everybody happy. The Chavetz Chaim did not sleep at night when there were Jewish soldiers in the field. The Chavetz Chaim did not live at a time that we had a state of Israel and an IDF. He was talking about, he wrote a whole Sefer. The Chavetz Chaim wrote a whole Sefer to Jews conscripted to the non-Jewish army. That happened regularly. <coughs> Jews, Baruch Hashem, we have an IDF. We talk about our soldiers. They're served kosher food. There's a shul on their base. They have the Rabbanut Tzva'it producing spiritual literature. They were given a menorah on Hanukkah. We're all tying tzitzis as part of their uniform. Today, Jewish soldiers are fighting in Jewish army. Baruch Hashem. What is chus to live in such a time that our, our destiny is in our hands? Chavetz Chaim lived in a time where the Jew who couldn't get out of it was conscripted into the, the Tsarist army or whatever foreign nation's army. And he wrote a whole sefer about what do you do? How do you navigate it? What do you eat? When can you daven? Who can you kill? What do you do? What do you do? And when the Jewish soldiers were in the field, the Chavetz Chaim didn't sleep. Umaran, Hagarn, Maran Lebshtaymen, Yashan al-Aratz b'zman Machamas Yom HaKippurim, in the Yom Kippur War, Rav Steinman slept on the floor. He wouldn't sleep in a bed. If there were soldiers who are sleeping in the floor, I'm going to sleep in a bed? Aye, we asked this already. And you're sleeping on the floor. That's helping win a war? Soldiers are getting killed and you're going to sleep in a bed? Rav Steinman said, I can't, I can't live with comfort if, if they're living in pain. Says Rav Druk, 
Nobody's asking you to give up your pillow. Nobody's asking you to give up your mattress top. Nobody's asking you to put a sleep on, sleeping bag on the floor. Nobody's asking you to give up. You don't even have to give up your chocolate. You don't even have to give up your manicure. You know what you have to give up? Your heart and your time. Davin, stay, same Tehillim. Shmos B'nai Yisrael, Habayim, Rashi Tevos, Shivya. You want to bring the hostages home? Sof Tevos, El Shmos B'nai Yisrael, Habayim, Mitzrayim, Tehillim. We got to pour our heart a little bit more, dig a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper. We can all dig a little bit deeper. If Ephraim Jackman, Hashem Yikom Damo, in Gaza could wake up early and dig deeper to daven without distractions, then we can dig deeper. Can we wake up a little bit early? Can we daven without distractions? Can we do more? Can we scream out and cry and yell to reflect that we are in pain? Do we recognize that there's one pitaron? There's only one solution. There is one answer. It's Avinu Sheba Do we realize that there's no one else to lean on other than him? And in order to lean on him, if we don't want to fall on our face, we have to get close to him. So how can we use this time to get as close as we can to him? And Amir Tzashem, the only headlines we'll see will be Sinwar's head on a platter, the MIT president resigning, anti-Semites cowering in fear, our living in safety, security, and freedom, hostages home with their family, soldiers back living their lives. Amir Tzashem, we should have besoros tovos. It should taka be a good day, a wonderful day.